true faith must be applied to the social problems of our world. Today, Christian young people ought to be involved in the problems of poverty, ecology, war, racial tension, and all the other problems of our generation. This is a Christian happening. It's a demonstration of the love of God by tens of thousands of young people to the world that are saying to the world, God loves you. It's the Jesus revolution that is going on in this country. Hey everyone, welcome to Season 5 of Unlearning Youth Group, where the podcast where we take a look at all the things we learned back in youth group, find the good, unlearn the bad, and figure out where the heck we go from here. We haven't met, my name is Jonathan Carone, and we're joined as always by our co-host, Mr. Eric Williams. Eric, why don't you go ahead and say hey to the people? The people, I am really pumped for this season because it's going to be not controversial and everyone's going to agree on everything. Everyone's going to love us and cheer us on and not have any disagreement whatsoever. Yes, because exactly. politics is a unifying thing in the church. Well, let's think about this. The two there's like you know two things that they used to tell you not to talk about in polite uh, company, and we are mixing both of them. One hundred percent religion and politics. Let's do this. Hey, if you haven't listened to the ep- the season intro, we we talk a little bit about motivations behind this and what we're going to do this season. But just as a reminder, just so you know exactly what this season's about and what it's not about, we are not about trying to convince you to vote a certain way. We are not about telling you why you should vote for one party or the other, and we're not about shaming you into feeling guilty about who you voted for in the past or who you should vote for or plan to vote for in the future. What we are about is looking at some of the topics that have been co-opted by politicians who have used the church for political gain. We are about showing how there are issues that Christians have to care about that we're biblically mandated to care about while acknowledging that there's liberty in how we come to different conclusions on how to best fix those issues. And we're a lot of, about reframing the role of politics within our Christian worldview. So as we start this season, as we start the first episode, these things are going to build over the next couple episodes. But today we're going to start with a high level of politics and government and the role Christians have to play in it. Eric. We'll get into some of the the bad stuff in a little bit, but can you, in your opinion, what is the temperature of the room when it comes to Christians and politics and government right now? Oh man, uh, temperature. Uh, well, I live in the Southwest in the desert, and it's about a hundred degrees on average. So the temperature when you're talking about that is like ten times that. All the time. I mean, it's like surface of the sun. You might as well be out of the frying pan and in the fire. I mean, over the past, I would say six years, uh, since about 2016, coincidentally, which we might be talking about in a little bit, um, there has been, it's just so, so, it's so tough to talk about politics in general, but even more so when you relate it to putting it through a Christian worldview, whether that means talking to other Christians about it or talking to people and them knowing that you are a Christian when you're discussing politics. And for this show, we know most of our listeners come from TikTok. 
which is an algorithm generated platform Mm -hmm. where you're hearing the people you agree with most often all the time in one minute clips. So it's hard to say things and, and get everything done in 60 seconds. So we know that there's going to be some, some pushback. Not everyone's going to agree with everything, but this is the way we think things should go. Mm. And what I think we have to start with is this thesis statement that says Jesus never spoke specifically about how to apply our religious beliefs to government. Mm-hmm. His focus was on the heart. It was not on the government. Right. And because of that, there's no true Christian way to vote. Mm-hmm. But there are things we have to care about. Yes. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. Yeah. And I think um, already, I'm sure we are going to be getting pushback for people that have caveats or other things like that. I think uh, a a side note that I would add to our thesis is that um, just bathed in the idea right now that this topic is not going to be black and white. The truth and the answers for the lot of things we're going to be talking about are found in the gray or the nuance, which I love that you brought up TikTok. There's not a lot of nuance when you're talking in one minute clips. None whatsoever. And when, and I would encourage anyone listening that when that knee jerk reaction happens, when that cognitive dissonance happens and your brain goes, that doesn't align with what I think or what I believe, instead of immediately jumping um, to defend or deflect or anything else like that, I'm just asking that you take a moment and let's think through some of the nuance of the discussions as well. There's an old Bob Goff quote from Love Does. I think I've referenced it on other episodes because it's one of my favorite illustrations. He said that when he was a lawyer and when he was having clients who were deposed, he would tell them to sit with their hands, their palms up on their lap. Because when you sit with your palms up, you're ready to receive. When you sit with clenched fists, you're ready to fight back. Right. So this season, I would suggest you, unless you're driving, you (laughs) sit with palms up because I don't want you to run off the side of the road, but at least have that mindset to where it's a palms up type of listening instead of fighting back. We're okay with any feedback you have. I would love to hear any of your feedback on TikTok, on social, in an email, whatever. Hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Tell us what you hate about us. I'm all for it. Yep. But at least before you write the email, listen to the entire conversation. There we go. So as we look at this, I think we have, as I was re- planning out this season, thinking about our audience, like most people who listen are somewhere between 25 and 45. And because of that, I think we need to go back an, about 50 years to the 1970s. Because if we're unlearning youth group, we're unlearning the things that we were taught. Most of us who went through youth group in the late 90s and early 2000s were taught by people who were pretty heavily influenced by a group called the Moral Majority. And you Mm -hmm. may have heard of them. You may not have. If you don't know who it is, uh, the Moral Majority was started by a man named Jerry Falwell, who happened to start a little Christian college that grew into what is now Liberty University, where I coincidentally have two degrees from. Mm. Go Flames or Hawks or what is it? Go. uh, We're the Flames. Go Go Flames. Yay. (laughs) So the moral majority's goal, according to Dr. Falwell, this is according to him, was to activate religious conservatives and gain power in government. They believed that there was a quote. Hold on. Can you say that last part again? Gain power in government. Okay. I think I'm going to need to bookmark that in my brain. Go ahead. 
Okay. One of Dr. Dr. Falwell's go-to phrases was moral decay. They believe that there was a moral decay in our country and that the best way to keep it from continuing would be to enact governmental policy that lined up with their biblical beliefs. And when the group disbanded in 1989, when the moral majority formally disbanded, Dr. Falwell said, quote, this is a quote, our goal has been achieved. The religious right is solidly in place and religious conservatives in America are now in for the duration. We did it. Doesn't that seem like, uh, what is it, uh, 2001 or 2002, where W is on, on the aircraft <laughs> He's on the warship with mission accomplished. And it says mission accomplished in the background. Yeah, Jerry, we did it. We did it. Everybody's moral now. <laughs> All right, 1989, nothing's going on. There's no, you know, epidemic of any sort of proportion going on here. Yeah, we're great. Way to go. But as you can see, like he said, religious conservatives in America are now in for the duration. So he basically said, we've got this generation that's ready for the fight that believes Christianity has to be conservative in order to line up with religious beliefs. And we're going to get to an episode on Christian nationalism that's coming in two weeks. Um, but there's some foundational work we've got to put together before we get to that. Yep. So with this as the background, you can see how we got to where we are today where many of us who grew up in church have been taught, and some of us have actually taught this, we're not proud of it, but that Christians are supposed to fall in line one side or the other of the political aisle. Eric, I know you didn't grow up as much in church as I did, mm-hmm. um, and you you were in different areas than I was. Was that as prevalent for you growing up as it was for me? Um, yeah, I knew that the conservative, you know, re- so Republican equaled conservative and that was also aligned with conservative thought in religion as well. And so there was a lot of that. The other thing is I hung around because of my, my background in not in religious nonprofits. Um, I hung around with a lot of people who I guess would consider themselves like deists or, uh, you know, they respected the God of the Bible, even if they didn't believe or go or anything else like that. So there's a lot of this, like, Christian adjacent belief where you still believe in the morals and the foundations of the Bible. And so then the that cultural would, Christianity type of thing, yeah, the cultural Christianity. Yeah. And then that would align you with the other aspects of what essentially came out of the moral majority religious right side. So yes. Yeah. That was still, still a piece of it. I call a lot of that Southern Christianity because yeah. I mean, you haven't spent a ton of time in the South, but I no. mean, the stereotypes of the South are like where, Everyone, like you're expected to go to church and everyone says they go to church. So when you meet someone in the South, it's like, hey, where do you go to church? And they're going to say somewhere. Yeah. At least in the past, they would say somewhere. They may only go on Christmas, Easter and Mother's Day. Yeah. But it's, it's a different church. Yeah, I go to this church. Yeah. It's a difference between your membership role and your attendance on Sunday. The membership role is everybody in the, in the community. The attendance on Sunday is definitely not. So where I grew up because of my family's backgrounds and and kind of being in when we moved to the Midwest and stuff, there's a lot more like Catholic and Lutheran, which is still that same mentality where it's like, where do you go to church? And the Catholics would still claim to be Catholic, even if they weren't practicing or ongoing, like there was a church that they identified with, or they would say they're Catholic. So same thing. They would still identify with it. And again, and we'll talk about it probably in the future, that Catholic specific um, aligns itself with certain political issues that you have to vote a certain way on. So, yeah, those things were were still intertwined, even though I grew up in in less of a 
religious upbringing. And one of the things that the moral majority did so freaking well was messaging. And mm. you and I, I'm, let's go ahead and mention we're in marketing because we do that all the time. Um, the, the, thing, the thing that they did so well was they said the same thing over and over and over mm. in a way that made you believe it was the only correct way to go about those things. Yep. And at its and they, core, go ahead. Uh, the, and they identified a villain. It was, you know, there, there were yes. villains and there were others. There was an us, there was a them. There was something out there that was keeping us from getting what we wanted. And they could point to that thing in their marketing messaging. Because at their core, what the moral majority was, was a political propaganda machine. Mm. And I know some of our older folks, some of our more conservative listeners are, they're balling their fists up at that. Here comes the but email. if you look at the, if you look at the dictionary definition of propaganda, it says, Information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular political cause or point of view. That's what they were. So let's call it what they were. They were a Christian religious propaganda machine for the Republican Party. And now marry that with Dr. Falwell. What was his goal? What was his stated goal again? to activate religious conservatives and gain power in government. So there was a very key tie there between activating governmental political power. So you're, what you're saying is political propaganda machine. It was stated that there was a political aspect and we just heard the definition of propaganda. Hey everyone, before we get into the back half of this episode, I want to take a quick minute to tell you about a new podcast launching Monday November 7th called Unlearning Church Staff. One of the biggest groups leaving Christianity is made up of former church staff, whether paid or volunteer. In this new show, I'll be interviewing different people each week and talking to them about how they left church staff without leaving their faith. A preview episode is already out wherever you get podcasts. Once this episode is over, go subscribe to that new show so you get the first episode when it comes out on November 7th. That's Unlearning Church Staff coming out Monday, November 7th. That's it for me. Now we'll get back to this week's episode. And so if you're new with us, each episode, we try to follow the same format. We introduce the topic like we just did, and then we're going to talk about what was bad about this issue, whatever today's episode is, uh, where do we go wrong? And then we're going to try to find the good intention behind that. This season might be hard. But we're going to try to find the good intention. And then we're going to talk about where the heck we go from here. So, Eric, hmm. what was bad about this political power approach to Christianity? Man, uh, Without so going many for things. Two hours. Yeah, so many things. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, and I didn't write this in our notes because this is this is really what it comes down to for me that's been on my heart about it from scripture is like, and I and I think you've you've mentioned this before, whether it's on TikTok or other places, is that this goes back 2000 years, the choice between Barabbas and Jesus. There's a choice in front of us that says, do we want to go after the representation of um, political power in certain, uh, well, Barabbas was in the insurrection side, but like up, up, upheaving the political system, which is what was represented in Barabbas or the person that, like you said earlier, Jesus was cared much more about the individual and about the individual side. And so I think that choice has plagued society for 2000 years, but in our brief history of 
the American democracy, what do they call the great, you know, the great experiment. This is what's happened is we've now married the Christian, the majority Christian culture with a particular political belief. And when you mix those two, it's hard to unmix them. If you think about, you know, this is unlearning youth group. So think about all those youth group explanations of if you would have the glass of water and then you take the red dye (laughs) dropper and you put it in there. It's like, we say all that stuff about sin and everything and you can't pull it out. I thought you were going to go purity culture. I was like, we can get purity culture out of anything. Yeah. Purity culture, sin, whatever. Like, uh, like we used to talk about the peeing section and non peeing section of the pool. When you put the two pieces of paper together and you pull them apart, there's going to be stuff. All the right. examples. So we give a purity think culture about example. All and of you've these got it here. purity culture examples, sin examples, when you get into bed, pun intended, with politics, the on either you're side. You're gonna be a crushed rose. Yes, you're gonna be a crushed rose. You're gonna be a, a a sticky note that loses its sticky. You're gonna be all of those, all of those different things. And I think that when you when you talk about the church being the bride of Christ, hey conservative fundamentalist Christians who are teaching purity culture. Let's look in the mirror here a bit on that same thing when it comes to our politics, because getting in bed with the wrong people and the wrong group and getting in bed with a group of people that have different, uh, different goals, than the goals of Christ it is going to be messy. And I know there's someone listening right now saying, well, you're, you're ragging on conservatives. Why aren't you ragging on liberals as well? We're going to talk a little bit about that next week. So that is coming. I want you to think this isn't just a show that's going to poop on conservatives Mm. for the entire season, because that's not what we're about. But most of us are coming from a conservative background. So the things that we have to unlearn first Mm -hmm. is that conservative or Christian equals conservative. Right. Always, no matter what. And, And it is worth noting now, again, because you and I don't come from this background. It's hard for us to speak into the space uh, with authority, but like we've seen other churches where they will have literal democratic candidates for office speaking from their pulpit. Now conservatives do the same thing in other church, but like it exists on both sides and we can talk about it on both sides is when you marry yourself with a political candidate, with a political ideology or with a political party um, it's, it's not fully going to fit. And it's going to be messy. And that's the bottom line, no matter which side it's on. And this is going to be touchy, but I'll at least go there. Well, we're already in purity culture talk anyway, so touchy (laughs) away. Most of our audience is white. And white churches tend to be conservative. Hmm. Black churches tend to be more liberal and progressive. So you see the Democratic candidates showing up at black churches more than you do uh, the, the, your AME churches, your uh, Church of God in Christ, those type of churches where you see more of your liberal uh, candidates showing up. So this happens on both sides. There is a train of thought that says, oh, the best way to be a Christian is to be a liberal politically. And I want to acknowledge that exists. Mm. But for most of our audience, that's not who we're talking to today. Sure. So I just want to throw that out there so that you guys think that we're not just pooping on one side of the party. Yeah. Like but, Jesus was the original socialist. Like, okay, we know that's all out there. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, but this isn't, this isn't our base. We don't need to echo culture, this whole thing and just rag on that side either. So, so I think there were two places where 
this approach to only having one way to be a Christian politically went wrong. Mm. Um, the major, moral majority and by nature, the Christian right, they believe that if you were a Christian, there was only one way to believe in terms of government and politics and public policy and all that. And like we stated at the beginning of the show, Jesus never specifically states how to apply our right. religious beliefs to government. Right. He only tells us the things we're supposed to care about. That goes both sides. There's not one way to be a Christian in politics. The moral majority, where I think they went wrong mostly, they sought political power more than trying to help people. They got it messed up in what their intentions and goals were. They sought the power and the influence. So this episode, like when I was thinking through this, I found this quote from Billy Graham that started this episode. It was from a youth gathering in 1972 that was nicknamed the Christian Woodstock. And the quote, if you don't remember it from 15 minutes ago, said, true faith must be applied to social to the social problems of our world today. Christian young people ought to be involved in the problems of poverty, ecology, war, racial tension, and all of the other problems of our generation. So mm-hmm. that was in 1972. It was less than a decade after that quote where the moral majority shifted the focus from applying the gospel to social issues and the problems of our world and instead focused on gaining political power in order to force people into what they believe the solution was to the problems. And I think that's a subtle difference. Well, of course, if we want to do this, then we should probably get our candidates in place. But I think intentions are really, really important because 50 years later, those things that start off as kind of close because they have different trajectories, they end up really far apart. And once you gain the power, you try to keep the power and you stop caring as much about the actual people behind the issues. Yeah. I mean, think about like, just go back in church history and think about what the Pharisees were all about. Like it it was about gaining power and about doing certain things and certain shows that, yeah, they might've had basis in the religious law in the ceremonial cleansing, in the ceremonial acts, but that ballooned into a dogma that created this need for show and this need for power and positioning. And so I think that's where, you know, if we apply it to today, it's yes, I'm sure someone is listening. Many people are probably listening and going, well, Jonathan, you said that, um, uh, you know, there isn't one right way, but I sure as heck know that one gets it more right than the other. So I'm going to affiliate myself fully with the one side. And it's like, but you're still missing it because then that leads that opens the gate to all of these other things. Um, you know, it's, it's a, it's like a gateway sin or a gateway drug that we would preach against to our, or have preached against to our youths and things like that. It's like, these are things that we would say in one hand, but we're ignoring it when it comes to the political party. And I think that I agree with you. Like when, when power becomes the dynamic and not helping people or introducing people to Jesus, we are getting it wrong. And even if you think one party gets it right more than the other, that's your personal opinion. Mm -hmm. And that's the way you think the strategy should be. Again, this, this is more next week's show. So we talked before this is like, Bleeding these shows together is yeah. gonna, not, and not going into too much is going to be hard, but that's your opinion on how that should work, but you have no right to judge or demonize someone who might have a different opinion 
on how to apply their faith to government. So that's where the big thing is. The, the moral majority demonized anyone who wasn't staunchly conservative in their approach to government. Yeah, and I think the thing we need to realize, and this is what I heard from a, you know, a theologian, theo, theolo, theological, b- biblical scholar, is he was saying this. Someone said, who's smarter than us. Somebody who's smarter than us and everything like that. He said, what you have to realize about these definitive things in the Bible is every position that you take about something that you think is definitive has been negotiated, which means that there are things that you that you have negotiated away in the Bible that you are you care less about morally and politically than the things that you think are absolutes. And so that opinion side comes out. And I think the more that we try to double down on um, you know, absolute truth and my my opinion is not just my opinion, but my opinion is right or wrong. Hey, newsflash, you are making yourself like God. Because you are saying that, hey, my opinion is the gospel truth. And that's not actually. And I know everything. Yes. And I know everything. I am God. You know, I remember uh, Matt Chandler said that like, hey, you know, nobody would ever like if you just come out and say, I am God, like everybody. go, Oh, OK, you're crazy. We get it. We we deal with crazy people in a different way. Like, let's get you therapy. Let's get you medication, things like that. But Christians, we go around acting like it. We think we are because we believe that our opinion is elevated to the po- point where it is infallible. Now. Here come the emails because a lot of you would go, well, no, that's not what I think. It's like, uh, okay, but that's what you're doing in practice when you are aligning yourself and saying the nope, the Bible is clear about this. And therefore that's how I need to vote. And I'm going to register with this side. And it's all about power. We'll get back to that conversation in just a second. But hey, Jonathan, have you ever been told to put on a t-shirt at a youth group pool party to cover up your scandalous two piece? I'm a dude and fat, so people probably wanted to, but no. Well, now you can get a t-shirt you'll actually enjoy having clinging to your soaking wet body in the middle of the oppressive summer heat. Just visit unlearningyouthgroup.com and check out all the sweet, sweet swag. You can even send in your ideas to us for new merch at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. Now back to the conversation. <laughs> So, hardest part of today's episode. <laughs> what was the good intention underlying this? Let's try to be. Let's try to find it. Do you have any? Because you didn't write any notes in here. You have your own thoughts. Do you have any opinions on a good intention underlying this? Yeah, it's a. Uh, I would say it's very similar to most of the things that we've gone through so far in our. Uh, you know, handful of seasons that we've created. Uh, when when we think about the the whole reason we started this was as an unlearning youth group. What were the things that we learned in youth group that we needed to unlearn? Which means it comes from our parents, it comes from our leaders, other things like that. And it's like, yes, we can pretty much say there was a good intention behind these things that ended up going uh, bad in practice. And so what, of course, what is the good intention behind the moral majority and the religious right? It's like on some fundamental level, I think all Christians can agree that there is a negative consequence to sin. Let's back that up. There is a way that leads to uh, a life of thriving and prosperity, and there is a way that choices and decisions and things that you do lead to your own self-destruction and the destruction of people around you. So whether you call that sin or not, for the people that are listening that may have deconstruction or whatever, I think we can all agree to that. I would call that sin. 
Yeah. So, I mean, but the practice is when you, yeah, I mean, I would too, but I'm just trying to make sure that, you know, okay, great. If you, if you don't like that word, fine, whatever. But then when you step in and say, okay, well, how do we help people avoid that? Right. That's where I think we get beyond what the good intention is. The good intention is, I think there are well-meaning people, whether it was Falwell or not, or the people that agreed with him is like, yes, it would be great if there was some way that we could help stop the bad things that we see going on in our society. That's great. I agree with you. The method that you go by, we're probably going to disagree, but we're sticking to the good approach. Yeah. So having gone to Liberty and Dr. Falwell was still alive my first year and a half there. So I got to have more of an up close view of him, see things that weren't necessarily portrayed in the media, all of that. And I can honestly say that I think he truly believed the only hope for our country was if it was focused on Jesus and the gospel. Mm. That's who he was. I disagree with his approach. Like we've talked about, I think the way he went about it and he apologized and repented publicly from a lot of his positions in the last decade or so of his life. Mm. Uh, So I, I think we have to be honest with that and at least acknowledge that people can make mistakes. This whole podcast is about people did the best with the, with the knowledge they had at the time. And then we're learning later in life that it may not have been the best approach. And there were places that Dr. Falwell repented of before his death that he said, I shouldn't have done that. I was wrong in that. So I think we have to at least acknowledge that. I think the intentions were in a good place, even if I disagree with the approach. And I can say that a lot of the results turned out to be bad. So, yeah. And I would extend that be, I'd extend that beyond uh, Dr. Falwell, right? To many in the religious right and the moral majority. Yeah. And I would say even people listening right now, you know what I mean? Like it, we can't vilify and demonize and go like, okay, well they were all bad and all of their, all their intentions were bad. No, I think there are well-meaning good intentioned Christians that got on board with the religious right and the moral majority out of a heart of, you know, think of the children, right? Or we have to protect, right. you know, protection, it's a protection or- and, and keeping people safe. And honestly, there's a way that God has called us to live. And there are things that we know, you, you know, you touch the, the hot pan, you're going to burn your hand, right? So what do we do to prevent those things? So, yeah, I think there's a lot of people that it's like, take a deep breath. It's okay that there was a good in- intention behind it, but yes, we do need to examine, um, what damage that that caused and to keep going once it's been pointed out that there are things that are problematic about it that goes beyond good intention into willful disobedience into willful which is sinful. Uh, you know sinful problems yeah exactly and, and to specify here we're not saying voting conservative is is sinful or wrong right right we're saying demonizing people who disagree or saying there's only one way to be a christian right that's the language that's wrong And then I think where I want to take us to end the episode, where do we go from here? I think we have to check our motives. Mm. Going after the power, that is what is wrong. Trying to get to gain political power is where the issues come. We have to check our motives and ask, are we trying to help people, widows, orphans, the poor, hungry, sick, minorities, whoever Mm -hmm. it is, or are we trying to gain political power? Or even as we are trying to keep a different group from getting political power, 
what are our intentions in getting involved in politics? It's subtle. It's going to be quieter in the back of your head. But are we trying to help people or are we trying to keep our preferred group of people in power? I hope we can be smart enough to see what the difference is there. But that's the question we have to be asking ourselves. Yeah. And I would, um, I'm going to rephrase that a little bit for people that might right. bristle against power, because I think there are a lot of people, myself included, because this is what I do is I, I said, no, I don't want power. Okay. Well, let me reframe it. Think about what's the motivation. Are you more motivated by protecting your way of life or by protecting something that makes you comfortable? That's also power. And so when, you know, is it okay to protect your family? Is it okay to protect? Yes. But when it's like, okay, do I want to protect the fact uh, that I, as a, as a white middle-class male uh, am the majority and have a majority of the power and the privilege in this country, you know, it's like, oof, what does it start to look like when I'm not as, as protected, which means when I'm not as powerful. When my dollar doesn't matter as much, when my voice doesn't matter as much, when my voting doesn't matter as much, all those things, you know, it's like some of that power is hidden behind a facade of protecting my way of life. And when I start to gloss that over and go, well, no, 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 I'm, I'm protecting the gospel. No, bro. No, you're protecting your own personal comfort because there are others in other countries and other situations and have under, other skin colors and other genders that don't have that same level of comfort that are still richly bathing in the gospel every day. And I think that's, are you trying to preserve your comfort? Are you trying to help people? Right. And you, so I'm going to make a statement that is going to both be agreed upon and disagreed upon by both conservatives and progressives. Mm -hmm. As Christians, our hope is not in the government. It's in Jesus. Right. And on the surface, okay, cool. We can agree with that. But there are pushbacks from both ideologies for different reasons mm-hmm. for why people would say, well, whoa, 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 Jonathan, but, 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 but this, right. this, or this, depending on your preferred political preference. Because our hope is in Jesus. We should approach politics and government with an attitude of which candidate in this particular election supports the policies I think will help the people Jesus told me to care about the most. Mm -hmm. And that gets back to that. Are you protecting your preferences or are you trying to help the people who Jesus calls us to help? And for some of you, you might believe that a candidate who supports lower taxes and less governmental oversight will help people more because individuals and churches can have more resources to be the hands and the feet of Jesus. And therefore you're going to vote conservative. And if that is your motivation for voting conservative, okay, cool. Mm -hmm. For others of you, you might believe that the best way to care for those same people is through governmental programs that provide resources for them. Right. And if that's your belief of how you think 
govern how we should be the hands and feet of Jesus. Okay. But if that's your motivation is to help those people, then we can disagree and go get a cheeseburger together and have a friendly conversation about why you're wrong and why I disagree. (laughs) But if I'm saying you're not a Christian because you disagree with my political approach, that's where we're getting it wrong. Right. We can disagree with the approach while still acknowledging someone's heart is in the right place. And I think that's the place that the moral majority got it wrong the most. Mm -hmm. They said that if someone didn't agree, then they are not a Christian. Their heart doesn't care. They are actually, and we'll get into this more next week. They are actually of Satan. If they disagree with us. I I mean, there's one of our favorite, um, you know, friend of the show. (laughs) I'm sorry. I don't know where you're going, but I'm excited for it. I can't believe I just dropped this. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a prominent, figure right now in the evangelical church friend of the show mark driscoll i mean he's like literally (laughs) (laughs) sorry you're probably gonna have to cut any of this but i mean we're we're literally hearing it today you know uh he's been on the last as as of recording this now the last two or three weeks it's like he said if you believe in this one political position you are literally not a Christian. He said, you cannot be a Christian and vote for X. And it's like, it's still happening. And it's happening from prominent figures um, in the evangelical movement right now. And they are demonizing and they are separating out people because of an approach. And liberal progressives are doing the same thing. Yep. And so we've got to get to a place as we go into this political season, if you're listening to this as it comes out, we're going into midterm elections. This stuff is everywhere. Mm-hmm. We've got to look around us and realize that there are many different ways to apply our faith to political and social issues. We have to go into this with grace towards people that disagree with us. We've got to change the language we use. We have to lower the temperature in churches. We're going to get to this next week, but Something like 33% of pastors are considering leaving ministry right now because of the political divide within the church Mm -hmm. and because of how mean-spirited it has become. Mm -hmm. So if we want to raise the next generation better than we've been raised ourselves, we have to change our approach to how we do this. And we have to extend grace to those who disagree with our desired approach for politics. Yeah, I think the one thing I'll leave with is... uh... Uh, singer-songwriter Derek Webb, who's from Cademan's Call, one of his song lyrics uh, hits me every time we think about this. He says, my first allegiance is not to a flag, a country, or a man, but to a king and a kingdom. And I think, man, every time I let my heart wander and drift from my first allegiance being to Jesus and his kingdom, and as soon as I let that bleed over into a flag, a country, or a man or woman, in, in power, that's, that's where I'm doing it wrong. And I think that it, for me, it comes from a spirit of fear because I'm afraid of losing what I have. I'm afraid of losing my power. I'm afraid of losing my privilege. And I think if anybody else out there is like that, um, and can admit that to themselves, that's, that's the work I'm, I have been going through and I am going through now when it comes to politics and unlearning those things, knowing that Jesus is on the throne and that 
you know, some of these things I can separate out because I, I need, like you said, I need to lower the temperature. We need to lower the temperature because the person in front of me, as Andy Stanley says, never let a view, you know, ruin your relationship with a you, that you in front of you is the most important person. It's more important than that, that political view that you may have. And so we've touched on a little bit next week, we're going to dive into this idea of political disagreement and talk about the tribal differences going on between Democrats and Republicans and how our society has begun to make those labels the defining piece of our identity. If you want that, go ahead and subscribe to the show, rate us and review us wherever you get podcasts that helps get the show out even more. If you want to get in touch with us, if you hate us, if you want to say you agree, we'll love those. But if you want to disagree and tell us why, you can email us at hello at unlearningyouthgroup.com. I am at Jonathan underscore Corone on all the social platforms. Eric is at Eric W712 on them as well. Uh, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for joining us this season. It's going to be a hard one, but I think it's mm-hmm. going to be really good. Uh, that's it for this week, though. Hope this leads to good conversations with you and we will see you next week. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it because I mean, I haven't been told that I'm not saved lately. So hit us up. <laughs>